Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Welcome to the last session of Momentum, and congratulations on making it this far. You know, making peace is the seventh and the last beatitude, and that tells us that it is of great importance to God. And so we should not be surprised when we experience difficulty in pursuing it. You know, throughout this study, we've seen that there is order and progress in the Beatitudes. And as we've moved forward, we've found that each challenge has become greater than the one that went before. So getting onto the last ring of being a peacemaker won't be easy. But in this last session, we're going to face the hardest challenge of all, making peace. Peacemaking is not an option for those who belong to Jesus Christ. We're called to peace, and that means that we're to contribute to the peace of our families. Now, they may love each other dearly, or they may be at each other's throats, or they may not be speaking to each other, but whatever the situation, God's calling to you as a believer is that to the best of your ability, you contribute to the peace of your family circle. If relationships in your family are healthy, your calling is to play your part in keeping it that way. And if relationships in your family have become dysfunctional, well, your calling is to use whatever influence you might have to make it better. The same principle applies in the church. God calls you as a member of the congregation where you worship and serve him to play your part in maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And if that peace has been lost, to do what you can to restore it. The same is true when it comes to relationships in your workplace, at your school, and in your neighborhood. Now, since peace is our calling from God, we should be intentional about pursuing it. Those who plan for peace have joy, the scripture says. So where there's conflict, our task is to find the best way to move toward peace. And planning involves weighing options, considering outcomes, laying out ordered steps in pursuit of a clearly defined goal. But peacemakers don't stop with plans. They plan the work, and then they work the plan. They strive for peace with everyone. Now, the word strive indicates effort, hard work, perseverance, poured into the pursuit of our God-given calling. Now, what does making peace look like in practice, and how is it best pursued? First, deal with conflict early. The beginning of strife, Scripture says, is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Now, I find this a powerful picture. It makes me think about being at a camp as a child with a group of other kids gathering rocks to see if we could build a dam in the stream so that we could create a pool of water to swim in. Well, you know what that's like. You build the dam and now you get the pool of water backing up. Success! And then you notice there's a little trickle of water that comes through the dam. And if you don't plug that hole, the trickle will become a cascade. 
The water will move the rocks and all your work will be lost. Now that's the picture that we have here. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. The beginning of strife. Now think about this. Every broken marriage had a point where the strife began. Every divided family, every splintered church, every hostility had a beginning of strife. The first harsh word, the first wound, the first moment of distrust. You didn't see it at the time, but the end was in the beginning. So here's what we learn. Deal with conflict early. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Don't let small things fester. Don't let it take root, because if you do, it'll grow. A second strategy for peacemakers is to prepare for a long journey. The Apostle Peter says, seek peace and pursue it. Now, the word seek tells us that peace may not be easy to find. And the word pursue tells us that peace may sometimes be far off. Peacemaking is a process. It's not an event. Where there are deep wounds, the path to peace may not be quick or easy. And if you want to be a peacemaker, you better be prepared for a long journey. God speaks about making peace with those who are far off. And the process of God making peace with you and with me, that was a long journey. I mean, it goes back to the beginning of time. It took all of the promises of the Old Testament, all the work of redeeming Israel and sending the prophets. It took the coming of Christ from heaven. It took his perfect life, fulfilling all that God requires of you. And it took his atoning death as the sacrifice for your sins. And it took his rising from the dead and his ascending into heaven. And even then, it took the sending of the Holy Spirit who awakened you to your need of Christ and caused you to be born again as he applied the full effect of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ into your life, moving you from a state of condemnation into the blessing of an adopted child of God. That is a long, long journey. And God has been relentless in pursuing peace with you. The third strategy is to take a step toward peace. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Making peace may be a long journey, but even the longest journey begins with a single step. So when peace seems a long way off, think about what might be one small step in the right direction. What might you be able to do that would be well-received by the other person? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Is there an act of kindness that you can show, an evidence of goodwill that you could display? What would be one step that would make this better, one step that might make another step possible? I've long been fascinated by the Cuban Missile Crisis. Two powerful nations stood toe-to-toe, -to -toe, and the world held its breath on the brink of a nuclear holocaust. The issue at the heart of the story was simple. What could be done to begin a process of de-escalation? What would be one step that might ease the tension and allow the other side to respond by taking another step back from the brink of mutual destruction? Now think about a situation of conflict in your own life. 
What would be one step that you could take that might make another step by the person or people with whom you are in conflict possible? Then a fourth strategy is to aim at humility, but never at humiliation. See, the Scripture says of Jesus that being found in human form, he humbled himself. So, thundering emails or speeches when you deliver a piece of your mind, that won't move you anywhere nearer to peace. Impersonal communication rarely leads to personal reconciliation. No, when God made peace, he came to us in Jesus Christ. He took flesh and he spoke with his enemies face to face. And when Christ came, he didn't come with a display of strength. He chose to make himself vulnerable. Now think about your experience of coming to Christ. Was it not his love that drew you? When you came to him, he forgave you and he embraced you. That's what peacemakers do. Now Jesus says that peacemakers are blessed because they shall be called sons of God. Now, sons are people who reflect their father's likeness, and peacemakers reflect the likeness of God their father in at least four ways. First, peacemakers are called sons of God because God has peace in himself. He is the God of peace. At no time has there ever been even the slightest hint of tension or conflict between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three persons of the Godhead are one in purpose and one in love. The starting point for anyone who wants to be a peacemaker is to have peace in your own heart and life. You can't give what you don't have. And a person who lives with unresolved conflict in his or her own heart can't bring peace to others. Peacemakers are people who are able to bring peace to others because through Jesus Christ, they have found it themselves. Then peacemakers are like God because they don't stand on their own rights. See, God the Son did not hold on to what was his by right. He left heaven. He stepped down and came into the world for us in order to make peace. We live in a world of rights, and there may be times when it's appropriate to insist on them. But before you insist on your rights in a situation of conflict, remind yourself that if God had stood on his rights, you would be in hell forever, and so would everyone else. You don't make peace by standing on your rights. Then thirdly, peacemakers are like God because they move toward trouble. I once heard a consultant say that in dealing with conflict, it's important to move toward the barking dog. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's never my first inclination. If a dog's barking, my instinct is to back off. But when the world was barking at God, he did not back off. He moved towards us, even though he knew it would lead to the cross. Peacemaking doesn't mean avoiding conflict. In fact, peacemakers often cause some trouble in the pursuit of peace. And I think that's what Jesus was referring to when he said, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. See, Christ came to bring peace between man and God. He moved towards the problem. But when he came, trouble flared. And that will often be the experience of a peacemaker. 
Peacemaking is not for the faint-hearted. It takes courage. It could be the most dangerous job in the world. For Jesus, it meant laying down his life. Then peacemakers are like God because they love others before they are loved in return. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, when there is conflict, it's easy to settle back and wait for someone else to make the first move. But if God had done that, we would all have been lost forever. So thank God he loved us before we loved him in return, that he drew near to us before we ever drew near to him. He offered peace to us before we made peace with him. Peacemakers are called sons of God because they act in a way that mirrors the way in which God has acted to us, not standing on rights, taking the initiative, moving towards the trouble. Now think about what being a peacemaker meant for Jesus. It meant going to a cross. And that takes us to the last great truth that our Lord teaches us in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we've seen that the first seven Beatitudes describe the life that God calls us to pursue. The eighth Beatitude describes the outcome of such a life. What should you expect as you move forward in the pursuit of a godly life? Well, you should expect to find what Jesus found, blessing from God and trouble in the world. When I think about brothers and sisters who suffer the harshest persecution and contrast what they endure with the freedoms and the comforts that I enjoy, I'm moved by the difference, and I'm challenged by how to make the best use of these privileges. See, if God should allow us to live in unusual prosperity and peace and freedom, surely we should use these gifts to stretch ourselves in costly obedience to Him. If our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world have their goods and their livelihoods taken by force, we can choose to release ours in sacrificial giving. And if other believers are in prison and we're free, we can use our freedom to extend ourselves with joy and without complaining in the work of Christ's kingdom. And if other Christians are exhausted with the pains of beatings and torture, we can surely press through the tiredness and the discouragement that we sometimes feel and find renewed strength in Christ to continue serving him. We set out in this study to pursue God's blessings through the Beatitudes. We've seen that our Lord's description of a life that is blessed is quite different from what we might expect. It begins with being poor in spirit, mourning your sins, submitting yourself meekly to God. Pursue these blessings and you'll find a great hunger and thirst for righteousness growing in your soul. And when you have that hunger, that longing to do what is right, you'll be able to make progress in areas that might at one point have seemed beyond your reach. You'll be able to forgive. You will grow in purity of heart and you'll discover more of this wonderful blessing of peace.